Association and IndieBirth.com. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Uh, I'm here today, Marin, obviously, on my Taking Back Birth podcast with, I realized, the only person to be a repeat guest. So, must be pretty cool to have Nathan Riley, MD, back. Uh, we've been chatting over the months since our last chat together and thought we'd just give you all a window into some of the things we've been talking about. So where to start? Welcome back. Hey, thanks. I didn't realize that that, I mean, that's quite an honor. After so many episodes, the only repeat guest, I feel like I need like a sticker on my shirt or something. <laughs> it must be a very like hard host to not have had anyone back, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you must be like, yeah, you must be very selective. <laughs> but you've had so many great guests that I'm sure would, you know, would be able to like expand on so many of these topics. I still feel like the dopey OB that's, no. that's learning so many things to round out his education here on the, the whole birth process. No, 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 not at all. We're so glad <laughs> to have you. And it's so helpful for me too. Um, yeah, just because this podcast really has its solid theme. And so to have you here makes me feel a little nervous too in the best ways. Uh, but I know we're like of the same <clears throat> cloth, so to speak. Sure, so, yeah. sure, yeah. Um, so let's see, it's, it was like several months ago. Was it almost, it was a long time ago that we talked. So there's a lot of, of stuff that I've been kind of digging into. Um, of course, my wife is now pregnant, if you didn't know. And she's like 19-ish weeks. I think next week she's 20 weeks. So oh we actually God. have our first OB appointment <laughs> um, next week, which is kind of funny because most people have already seen a doctor like six times or something. And, you know, I'm, I've been her doctor, I guess. And she's doing great. She's feeling good. She's looking good. She's, you know, we're there. So ha- almost halfway. And um, um, since I chatted with you, I've been linked in with so many other great people within the birth community um, in, including Katya Nova. She's been kind of a good friend of mine of Honey Talks. And a lot of other people who are big fans of your podcast have reached out. And so I'm, I feel like I'm blessed to be a part of this bigger conversation now as I start, sort of start to question my own role in the birth world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I made a couple lectures for you and your students um, through, your, through your, your midwifery program. And that was educational because it got me it sort of forced me to rethink things. How would I explain this to a non OBGYN? And I would actually explain it a lot differently. And my counseling is a lot different whenever I look at it through a different lens. So it's actually been really helpful. And, and I think it's actually making me a much, a much stronger doctor and a much stronger advocate for my patients. Um, and I'm already coming from sort of an unorthodox mindset, I think. So, so it's been really helpful. It was really nice to get in touch with you and to, and to stay in touch. Um, uh, and you also probably, I, I probably have told you that we moved to Kentucky by now and starting t- two new jobs out here, one in palliative medicine, one in OBGYN, and I'm loving it. Kentucky's an awesome place. Louisville is where we live and it's uh, amazing. It's green. Uh, San Diego was great, but this place is green. We've, we've been linked in with a big group of friends here that are total weirdos. We made, we had dinner <laughs> with them last night and made, um, pipe cleaner hats and everybody was sitting on the table while we was like while we were waiting for dinner and everybody was eating dinner having like adult conversation age ranged from like 25 to 55 like this awesome group of people we've been linked in with and wearing our millinery <laughs> um, yeah yeah and um we oh we also went back to burning man there was an event uh, an event that i wanted to tell you about that we did there which was so powerful that 
I would love to, to hear your and Margot's uh, opinions on it. But if you don't know much about Burning Man, it's just a big city that gets built in the middle of the desert. And there's everything from raging drug-induced sort of parties to um, very deep, intense interpersonal workshops and things like that. So it's, it's 80,000 people doing whatever they want, providing whatever services they want. And you learn a whole bunch of stuff about yourself out there just because of the living conditions. And Stephanie was pregnant, of course. So it was a slightly different experience for us than last year. But there was an event that we went to that um, was called a Moethon. And I'll, I'll give you like the short end of it because this was like something that will stick with me for a long time. They basically had invited 30 to 40 men and women. So about 60 people total into a tent. And they prepared us, men and women separately, for women to have the opportunity to in front of the whole group of people to find a man in the crowd that that triggered something in them but that they felt safe with in order for them to have an opportunity for the man to hold space for them to emote anything that was on their mind and birth traumas came up um, rapes came up uh, their alcoholic father leaving them their husband dying at too young of an age and and them just wanting to hold somebody that reminded them of them of their husband and all of these men, their whole goal, their, their whole role there was to just hold space for this woman to actually have the opportunity to speak her mind and to feel out where she's going. And that in and of itself was therapeutic, not for just for the women, but also for the men. And you can imagine in a room of, you know, 60 so or so people for three hours, women are pounding the ground, they are screaming, they are pushing, they are slapping, they are hitting all with consent, of course, but um, there was not, a, not a, a male voice for that entire period of time, which was very powerful. Um, and um, the men were sort of like waterworks the entire time. And I was actually, interestingly, called into this, you know, out of the crowd by the facilitator of the group who said that in, in her three-minute soliloquy had, had sort of um, imposed upon me sort of her impression that I represented not only the patriarchy, but the medical establishment in our sort of um, taking liberties with women's bodies in, in um, whether it's in surgery or in, you know, in, um, in birth or whatever. And it, you know, of course my wife is there as well. And, and it just seemed like such an, an appropriate coincidence that, that at this time in my life, that all of these kind of things are swirling around and coming together. But uh, suffice it to say that that event um, was extremely powerful. There was not a dry eye in the room for the entire time. Some women were bawling, some men were bawling, and it was a very, very challenging experience, but very um, a, a great opportunity for growth. And um, and so that you know, so in addition to all those things, of course, a lot of the books that you and I have been sharing and whatnot have just been so educational, and. Um, and I'm really kind of looking forward to, to where these conversations are going to continue to go and, and in order for me to become the best advocate for women that I can. Mm. Wow, that's touching. I bet that was so healing and right where you needed to be, you know, considering all these conversations, like no accident you would wind up in that room. Yeah, sure. And, and, and actually, you know, even as a man there, it really wasn't an event for women. It was really meant for 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 the masculine and feminine energies to, to learn how they can heal one another. Um, because there's, a, there's always also a lot of pressure on men and physicians in particular to not be vulnerable, to not allow that space for a woman to really express how upset she is. You know, men are kind of taught to shut down and to be stoic and to be strong. And any, any sort of empathy that you show for, for any person's pain is sometimes considered weak in some families and cultures. And so 
in this particular instance, as I mentioned, the men and women kind of separated initially and the male cohort, and, and it's not man and woman like, like XXXY. It was if you identify as masculine or feminine, that's the way you went. And it did happen to be XX and XY split up that you can imagine them, you know, 30 men outside and they actually had us line up face to face and, and take turns emoting to one another and just for the other person receiving that to just stand there open and accepting it without interrupting, without becoming defensive, without puffing your chest. And men were, were screaming at one another. I remember, I, I don't know where it came from, but something was pent up in there and this poor guy across from me, I just let him have it screaming, snarling, ah, you know, like the, just getting all of this juices flowing. And the guy on the other side of me was so open and so accepting and receiving of that emotion that he started crying himself. And um, it, it didn't mean he was a, you know, he wasn't a pussy. He wasn't like a, you know, a weak guy. He wasn't whatever. He was a person accepting of this. And I think in order for us to start to see change within the practice of medicine and, and within the birth community, there's a lot of trauma there that needs to be identified and addressed. And we need to be willing to stand there and openly receive it. And only then are we going to start to see healing and change um, on, a, on, a, on a grander level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I have come to say a lot lately, there is no us in them. There really isn't. And so all the divides that we see, you know, even the most well-meaning labels and things like truly aren't helpful, you know, and it, it, it's, yeah, it's not just men and women. It's not just those energies. It's all kinds of like crossfire of defensiveness and trauma. And so, yeah, there's so much, there's so much there to work through, but I love that you're doing your part. You know, I think that's all we can do really at the end of the day. Yeah. I think that that's really important for the coexistence of birth workers, you know, and, and this of course is separate from the conversation around free birth or should we have birth workers at all? And of course I fall on the other side of that, where I do think that there's a, an important role for, for a birthing community, um, at least until we have, uh, you know, the, the, no, I mean, we always will have a role for, for hospital based birth and for midwives and physicians and everything else that, you know, in between, um, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm getting a strange sense from, uh, from some of my more recent educational uh, endeavors, such as the, I went to a breach workshop just this past weekend with Rixa, Rixa Freeze and David Hayes. And if anybody is unfamiliar with the work of Rixa Freeze, like just Google her name and look at the, in, in, the outstanding literature review that she has done and, and what is, what a service she's provided to, to the, the birthing community to understand more about breach and some of the long-term outcomes and some of the the safety concerns. Yeah. I think you you did have her on, didn't you? Yeah. She's been on the podcast and she's done a webinar for us on, you know, the realities of the risks of vaginal breach birth, which is awesome. Oh, she's incredible. Mm -hmm. She's incredible. So I, you know, spending a weekend with her and David Hayes, David Hayes is an OBGYN that trained also in some critical care obstetrics. So he's seen some of the really, really bad stuff and he's, He's on the side of, you know, Rixa and, and some other practitioners who have said, you know, once you see the evidence and once you see the sort of nature of attitudes around something like breach um, and, and how one study, one giant, you know, it was a big study, but it wasn't the biggest study. Um, and it was also questionably, you know, not even questionably, it was, it was methodologically flawed. Um, when you start to understand that it's hard to turn away, if, if you have any inkling of an open-minded 
conscience about how you're providing care to women, doing an incision through someone's belly versus allowing a baby to come out when you, when you, when you know that the risks are relatively low, at least based on the available evidence, it's hard, it's hard to continue practicing like that, but a lot of physicians still do. And um, at, this, at this conference, it's probably not a surprise to find out I was the only man, uh, the only male participant, and one of only two doctors that were, that were participating. Everybody else was either a doula or a midwife um, in, in, in all varying you know, um, types of midwifery, you know, the different licensing. And, and you explained it to me one time before, I believe, but it, it seems so complicated, even reading, reading about it in your book, the different varying. Yeah, right. Um, so, so anyways, being in that room, though, I found it really interesting because I, everybody was very kind to me and very, and very accepting, but there's little whispers and little hush, like hushed kind of outcries from the audience while they're presenting certain things. And, and those outcries are, you know, they fall in line with patriarchy and, and conflicts of interest and this and this and this. But on the medicine side, there are very few people who intentionally are being bad. We just have a very, very powerful divide over the years of people not talking to each other and really not trying to find some way to just provide better care. Mm-hmm. Everybody's concerned about the finances or the administrative stuff or the I've got to be home. We've got to get this baby out. Or they get latched onto some data from one study and there's this, this reversal of some practice of delivering vaginal birth. And now as soon as you feel a rump, even though if the rump is sliding out the body, you're going to try to push the baby back up and do a surgery. It's just insane. You can't know those things and you can't fix these, these divides without acknowledging that this is wrong. And that, and, and just because just because people were trained in a different way, it doesn't mean that there's a, as a black and white binary wrong and right. There's also a whole bunch of people in this community that could be helping one another improve these experiences. But yet, you know, we're still kind of stuck in this quagmire of, of man, woman, good, evil, hospital, home, whatever. And I, we kind of have to get over it. I, I do hear, I do hear that coming into a hospital physiologically may alter the course of birth. I hear that. And I think that that's actually very important. And for most people that can, are low risk, I, I will remain an advocate for having a home birth. If you're a low risk patient, especially if you've had a couple babies yourself. Um, but we can't be, we can't be shaming people for having hospital based birth. And we can't be, um, I, there was this video that just came up online on the, on the um, empowered birth project, which I really love Katie Vigos and, and her thread. I don't think she knows who I am, but I've admired her, her stuff, but she posted this video of a guy doing a very gentle vaginal delivery recently, and it caused all this hoopla. Um, and, you know, while I, I understand that what he did was he actually took his fingers and ran, ran them down the vulva as the baby's head was crowning, and that was inappropriate. You don't have to do that. There's no benefit to doing that. But he, of all of the hospital-based births, if anybody has had any experience with hospital-based birth, there are some very horrible things that are done in hospitals not by everybody. And there are many people like myself that would keep hands off entirely. But you see this video and um, the, the reaction to this video, for the most part, was very positive. But there was a whole bunch of very outspoken people that said, this guy sexually assaulted her. This guy did this and this and this. And it kind of gets into this like shame versus guilt conversation, right? Where is this OBGYN a bad guy? Or did he do something inadvertently where he just, sometimes you actually run your hand along the crown of the head and you just want to see like, how big is the head? Should I be concerned that maybe, that maybe there's going to be a shoulder? Maybe this is very protected. Am I worried that maybe the, 
the baby's in the OP position. I don't know, but there's some times that you might want to do that. And we don't know the whole story, but instead there was this shaming of this OBGYN for doing that. And while I think he probably didn't have to do that and maybe he shouldn't do it in the future, I bet if you ask this guy, and I've seen other videos of him, he's, he seems like a very, a very strong patient advocate in my experience. Right. Should we be shaming this guy or should we be saying, hey, man, maybe like that isn't the best thing? I bet if you told him that, I bet he would say, oh, my gosh, you're totally right. I don't know why we do that. It's like I can't keep my hands away. Like I got to really work on that. But instead we say, boo, bad, shame on you. And he's probably getting a whole bunch of hate mail because this otherwise, I think, very reasonable approach to a hospital-based birth became a source of outrage for right. some people. And I think that there's a lot of reason to be out, you know, to, to have outrage and to, and to be angry. It's, I don't think that he's the right target. And I don't think. No, I don't either. I saw some of that this morning and I just didn't want to participate. Not because yeah. it's not important. It's very important, but I agree. It's not the right target. And let's be honest, there are midwives doing that at home. There are midwives. Right doing worse than that at home. So, you know, do we, do we target that person? I mean, that's more of my world. So I guess the way we try and deal with those sorts of things is just letting women speak from, you know, their hearts and their experiences and education. I'm sorry to say it just, we're taking it back to like the bare bones of this is how birth works. Um, you know, those of us that have had babies that way and witnessed babies be born that way are humbled by how little is needed. Um, so, you know, when someone's just doing what they're taught, there's room for growth there. But, you know, is it abuse? Uh, that really is up to the woman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I guess, you know, the, the people that would argue that people, that, that birth workers are not, relevance or that they maybe are detrimental to the birth process um they have a big task on their hands their their whole their her whole message which is an important one is to eliminate fear around the birth process and a big part of that is um sorry i have to move my computer here a little bit um a big part of that is is getting them into a a physical environment that is more comfortable for them. And so no matter what, when you leave the home, the comfort of your home or wherever it is that you've prepared to birth mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it, there is going to be, you know, a, a stress response in some way. And so I understand that from a free birthing standpoint for, for people that don't think that a birth worker or that going outside of the home is a good idea, I think what they're trying to argue for is, is if we didn't have birth work, in, in other words, involving birth workers or taking the patient out of the home, we are actually causing the problems of birth as opposed to, you know, trying to engage with the birth process on a very personal, comfortable level. And while I understand that, you know, David Hayes had said something really, really helpful at the workshop. He's like, you know, I am 100% an advocate for home birth, for doing vaginal breech birth in a VBAC. Uh -huh. Like he's as extreme as they come and he's very good at what he does and he's well-trained and he's comfortable with his skills. But he said, we have to, we can't, we have to ignore this, this tendency for magical thinking that every baby is going to come out and be completely perfectly fine because that one, that one trauma of losing the baby is probably 
just as deep, if not far deeper, um, for our collective society um, of, of women who have, you know, responsible birth workers, whether it's in the home or, or in the hospital, who actually are trying to just change the dynamic of birth on a, on a sort of systemic level. Um, so, so they have a tall task at hand. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to do their best for the patient. We're trying to do their be the best for the patient. And all that we all want is really to eliminate this sort of traumatic experience that is birth. Um, and we're all kind of coming at it a different way. And I guess, I guess if we just had more conversations and less, and less shaming, whether it's from the public or between one another, you know, it, I just think it would be so much more constructive. Sure. I mean, there's so much dogma, which is like actually what gets me more fired up than any of it. Like nobody is 100% right. You can't be. And there will always be death no matter what, you sure. know, that's like the subtopic. Um, you know, the free birth community, it can't be always. It can't be always and never. Right. Work right. for birth. And that's putting magical thinking on, as you say, um, because not every baby should be born at home. Not every baby should be a vaginal birth. Like, where's just the common sense in this yeah. discussion? Yeah. And, and, and taking it back to let's help women, and this is what I feel like I get to do every day, let's help women get back to the roots of their wisdom and then honor what her choice is. I mean, I have people sure. in here, of course, they are still in, you know, a pretty radical box, uh, but they might want ultrasound. Um, you know, there are, there are people in this more extreme community that those poor women that want an ultrasound are just, you know, they're evil and bad and stupid. And I mean, I've sat with women right here who are smart as anything and that's their choice you know in this wise woman model they are the center of their spiral and so I feel like everything's gotten a little off track and actually the always or never is to me one of the most patriarchal principles that could actually be applied to anything and so I don't right. know right. that irony is like being seen and felt um, the dogma in a community like that, like there's so much good there's so many beautiful births happening but there's also women who then feel compelled to follow something that isn't in their truth. And that yeah. makes no sense to me. Right. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The whole point here is that we, as a medical establishment, need to trust women. Right. I mean, that's what the, I mean the, the whole Me Too movement even came out of this idea that like, we have got to stop gaslighting people whenever they have fears and when they're concerned about something. Just in the emotathon event I just told you about, I can't stop you and say, hey, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't so bad. You know, you need to get past it. You know, your dad was an asshole. He left you, whatever. Like that is not the, no, that's no. not the point. No. So whenever a person comes to me and says, should I do an ultrasound or not? Right. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, right. we could do it. We, we, we don't have to do it. But if you're considering doing an ultrasound or getting a vaccine or getting whatever, if, if something is telling you that it's the right thing to do, I can give you the literature. I can help guide you. I can help pr provide you my expect expertise, which is not building houses or anything. It's, it's like m interpreting medical literature and trying to apply it right. to the best of my ability to get you whatever outcome it is that you desire. But as soon as I tell you, it's stupid for you to have a, a home-based birth, that is very patriarchal. It's, it's stupid for you. You don't know what your body needs. Trust me, I'm the doctor. Don't have a VVAC unless you want your baby to die. That is just as patriarchal as saying, 
if you're going to go to the doctor, then shame on you. Instead of trusting your body, like they are trusting their bodies. Like they are actively seeking some guidance and you're telling them to go against what their, what their, their sort of internal dialogue is. And, and again, there's that shame there. Like it does, it isn't helpful to shame somebody. If somebody is bad, then they can't change. But if somebody did a bad thing, then that is something that is a behavior that can be corrected. And um, so from the birth workers to the patients, to anybody outside of those two categories, we have got to just get better at talking to one another and to not, into not making people feel bad for doing certain things. <laughs> totally. And I think there's also an element, I mean, and this comes up, I feel like all the time is this element of self-responsibility, you know, to the degree that we're all capable. Um, you know, if we have an experience that wasn't great, even if it's years later, how can we learn from that? You know, what is there there that we were contributing to perhaps even unconsciously? Like that's the stuff I want to be talking to women about. I don't need, you know, I sit here and hear hours and hours of people's stories, but it's like, well, what, what do you want going forward and how can I help you work through that trauma, that this, that so you can find your voice. This isn't about me saying, you know, home birth's the only thing. If you walk in here, that's all we're doing. Um, no, let's go on this journey and, and I'll support you to the best of my ability and hold space for you to come to your own exactly. conclusions. Exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah. you also mentioned personal responsibility there. I think that what, what um, I think her name is Emily. The, she's the one that's the head of the Free Birth Society. I really love her podcast and I love hearing the stories of successful births. And it, it like brings back the magic of what birth is when, when, a, when a woman has been able to make a decision for herself and have a birth in the way that she imagined it, knowing that there are risks, knowing that there are benefits and having made that decision. That's what we're all here for. Yeah. And, and whether you're doing a home birth, free birth, you know, assisted birth in the hospital, whatever it is, once you've made that decision, there is, a, there is a level of responsibility as well that comes with trusting a person's intuition. If a person says, I'm trusting my gut here based on whatever the decision is, part of what we, we, what we can do is to support them. And what, what they can do is they also have to assume responsibility. Okay. You know, so, so when a person wants to have a baby um, uh, at home or whatever, if something bad were to happen, that's, we are trusting you as the woman with the intuition to make the decision that's best. And if a medical practitioner provides you advice and you choose not to take it, that's also okay. We also support that. And when something bad happens, which we know it sometimes does in OBGYN, it is naturally a high risk practice uh, or or birthing is a high risk activity because not every baby survives. It's part of biology. Um, We also, we also have to assume responsibility as the, the, the birthing, well, it, not me, but the, the woman who gives, gives birth. And we have to also support them through that. Okay. And so there isn't shame that, oh, how could you do that? Like, you know what? They made a decision. They're an adult. We forget that we're all adults and we all have like life experiences to base these decisions on too. Right. And there are no guarantees. I mean, I've supported right. several stillbirth mothers um, that were free births and, you know, had some really enlightening and wise conversations with them because following their intuition was what they were doing. You know, following our intuition doesn't mean we get 
what we want. Exactly. It only means exactly. that we're, we're on the path. Right. Right. And so there's that whole thing. I think there's also the element of, yes, as a practitioner, if you're involved, then you also have that path that you're on, that intuitive path. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that doctors talk about that. I feel like midwives, we try to where, you know, we we're connected, we hope. And again, that doesn't mean that everything works out perfectly. It just means we're on the path. We're on the path we should be. And if at some point our intuition told us to jump off, you know, then that's a legitimate thing too, to say to somebody like, I'm glad you're following your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. For me, this isn't feeling right. And that's okay to you. So there's so many like gray areas with these topics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm learning more and more now that, you know, there's a lot of reason for people to be upset with the medical establishment. And like I said, I, for good reason, I'm questioning my role in this whole thing as a man who's attending births, you know, I wouldn't have been in the red tent. I wouldn't have been a part of women's circles. I'm not a wise woman who's giving you advice based on my, my feminine energy. I am now getting in touch with my feminine energy, but it has nothing to do with the birth experience. It has everything to do with how do I support that feminine energy? How do I use that feminine energy? And, um, and, and I think that there's a lot of good reasons for people to be pushing back against the masculine energy that has not tried to not only heal from the feminine energy, but also to heal the feminine energy. You know, there, there's, we're missing that yin, yin, yin and yang. And so I think it's very, very easy. You know, hospital's bad, home good. Um, needles, needles bad, no vaccines good, whatever. Like, like we're, we're missing the point and we're actually driving this, this the polarity in our, in our society is growing even deeper as a result of us just not simply sitting down and talking and trying to understand one another and being open to hearing out other people's trauma. I did a really interesting podcast with Lisa Hendricks and Jack who wrote, who um, wrote a book called for uh, the fifth vital sign. Yeah. It's yeah. all about fer- fertility awareness methods and cervical mucus tracking and whatnot. And she and I were really just talking about, you know, this, this increasing, this alarm that's growing louder and louder and louder. That is doctors are stupid. They're lazy. They want your money and this and this and this. And I assure you that is not the case. I think that there's a good reason to feel that way. Um, but it's really not helping. It's actually making things much, much harder for us as a society to keep people healthy and safe. And my role as a doctor is to care for people. If a, if a person thinks I'm out there to hurt them, then that actually does harm. And so um, I'm not there to hurt you. And I'm actually here to learn from you and to try to support you. But we aren't trained like that. And we aren't talking like that. And we aren't being we aren't treating one another like that. And um, the same goes for midwives and everything else. I just, my experience has been with being a physician and um, yeah, I, I hope we're moving in, a, in the right direction. Do you think we are? Do you think it's getting, do you think that people are starting to open their minds with social media and whatnot now? Do you think that the story is, is changing? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, I think, you know, that you're special, you know, you're like in a select group of someone that's thinking and open and, you know, who knows all your past life experiences or who knows <laughs> life that's like brought you to be able to understand. I think you can't underestimate, you know, that it's not normal for a doctor to be this way. Um, but I would, I would be hopeful and believe that there's a lot more male and female doctors out there that are willing to hear women and, 
you know, back when we were talking about this, I feel like a few months ago, just by text or something, um, I think I said to you, I feel really whiny about this subject. And I feel (laughs) still because I could make it like all about me just for a minute and like how hard as a midwife it is to work with any doctor. They don't in this area and nobody has any interest in that. Um, and I, and I really don't know what to do after a decade here. Sure. I feel like I could use a new idea because nothing has worked. And truthfully, I'm not like really trying because it was not a good experience many years ago. Oh, I can't imagine so what I'm, what I'm looking for is what we're talking about. I just would love someone to collaborate with on particular cases, instances, people that want the whole spectrum, that need a a broader spectrum of care. It's not, you're the only thing. It's not, I'm the only thing. It's like, this woman could really use what we both bring. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And she's frustrated. It should be like more support, the better. Exactly. But doctors here don't want to be involved with midwives. They Mm -hmm. think it means something about them. And, you know, I don't know how clear to be. Like, I don't want anything from you. I simply want you to help this woman, you know, even in her pregnancy. I'm not even looking for you to be on call for her birth. It's just simply, uh, she's sick. She has a respiratory infection. Can she get in to see a doctor in this area? No. The answer is no. Right. If she doesn't have an OB, she's got to go to the ER here. Right. She's sick. (sighs) That's so frustrating. I know. And then I get all whiny again and I feel I'm very angry about that. That's just the honest truth. I don't, I don't know the way through. Um, Although, you know, on the positive note, like I have a really great ultrasound guy that comes right here that is happy to help and works for doctors and is happy to come here and do whatever we want them to do. So I know they're out there, but bridging that gap more like, yeah, I don't even know what the next step would be. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I, I guess I kind of imagine even in like the, I guess I kind of even imagine in like, let's say the, the let's go back to the, like the free birth, uh, free birth, an example of free birth, which for, you know, I'm sure people listening know, but that would be, you're not many, in many cases, not having any um, sort of prenatal workup and then potentially no intrapartum or postpartum care. And, um, and oftentimes it goes super, super well. And I think it's, there's some of the most amazing birth stories that really make me feel good about doing what I do, you know, <laughs> which is ironic because it's, it's, it's a situation in which I'm, I'm the, the least involved. Um, but it's a confirmation. I mean, it it's is. a reminder it that like nature mostly works. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I wonder about those, those cases though, in which maybe there is a moment of like, oh no, there's a cord prolapse or there's something else. I would just love for somebody to know that like, you know what, this is my choice. This is what my intuition is telling me. I'm going with my gut, but there's also a safety net just in case there's always this possibility that maybe at the last minute, if I change my mind or at the last minute, if, if, you know, my friend who's my only supporter, my, my partner's my only support here, they get concerned about something that there's somebody that there's ample birth workers out there that would absolutely run to the side of a woman who's needing that support. We don't have that right now. And that's what we really need to work on fostering as a birth community as a whole, because I mean, that's what our school is trying to do. These, these yeah. women are all over the world and they're not interested in, you know, serving the government. Um, we all know, I think, like the, the government restrictions around midwifery right. birth are pretty much the same almost everywhere. 
you know, so we have students all over and that's the goal is to serve the family is to be that person. I mean, I know that, you know, you're kind of unique in your role. And then I've had some uniqueness in that my own births, you know, essentially are, have been free births, but I have had the privilege of a midwife there. Right. So like, that's, that's the goal, I think, for people that are wanting that setting and that kind of thing, um, is that there is such a thing as someone that's knowledgeable and intuitive and exactly. that can literally yeah. sit there and hold a fucking camera right. and take video because... Right, right. Right? So it does exist, but then we get back to, like, I think the, the main discussion, which is women have to want to do that work. They have to go through what they need to go through to be... Um, you know, confident and responsible and all of those things so that, you know, they also don't feel like they need someone. It's just this balance of yeah, not really needing anybody, but having, like you say, a safety net. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think, especially for women, and honestly, I would include you in this, like we've always been with other women in birth. I say that all the time. I don't think we were meant to, you know, every woman, shut the bathroom door and, and be totally alone. I know that's right for some women and I honor that. Yeah. I think that there are more women looking for really good support and, and skill with someone there than not. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, I mean, it's like with literally anything else in our lives. Um, I would love to, you know, swim, uh, you know, and this is a funny example, but this is like a, such an apt metaphor, I think. The, there's a cove, La Jolla Cove, you can swim across. It's like a, a half a mile one way and half a mile the other. And it's a really challenging swim because it's in the ocean. And I told my wife before I left, I want to swim the cove. And I had never actually got around to doing it, but it was within the last two weeks. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to swim the cove. And um, I was like, you know, could you like come with me in a kayak? And, and she was like, yeah, sure. You know, so she was going to kayak with me and we didn't end up doing it. But the whole point is that no, she's not going to be pulling me through the cove and I'm going to be 100% stuck in the, the crap that is swimming in open water, not being able to see the bottom for, you know, a whole mile, which will take me probably 45 minutes and it's going to be really hard and I could drown, but I probably won't drown and I know the risks, but you know what, there's a kayak there and my wife could just hand me a paddle in the event that I need it. And that's not to say that I would be weak for grabbing the paddle. It's like, you know what, maybe just, just in case. And it's so nice that somebody's not like, no, if you're going to do this yourself, then fine, go and do it. And I'm not, and, and I'm not saying like, you can't be here. It's going to take from the experience. I need to be in the zone. Like maybe there's some element to that, but I know this is a funny metaphor for this birth oh. process, but like, why can't we be supportive of one another in that way? And, I love that. and there's great reasons, I guess, why we can't, because, you know, the OBGYN community has not made it very nice for people often to be in hospitals. And I, I'm with you. I stand strongly, firmly with you there. Um, it's, it would just be nice, I guess, to start to see things change in the way that you've most most beautifully put it. Yeah. Well, that's a great analogy. I'm going to use that with credit to you. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I mean, again, it's all about balance. I guess, you know, maybe I'm like not at a point in life anymore where I'm just like 100% anything. You know, it's just realizing that there's so many colors and possibilities um, you know, and it's not personal. I say that a lot too. Like, it's not a personal thing. I certainly don't think doctors are bad. I totally understand 
that it's this, you know, the system, it's a systemic problem. Um, and I, and I don't know, I don't know that I would spend my days figuring that out because I think it's makes more sense to create something new, um, you know, from my perspective, but we're all here for different reasons and there's all kinds of ways to make ourselves feel better and also help people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think that, I think that sort of like in summary of that really, really cool exchange, I think it's just important for us to remember who, you know, who we, who the quote enemy is and to remember that we're all in this together. Um, there's a really great book by Daniel Quinn named uh, called Ishmael, which I've gifted to probably like 50 people and I'll, I'll send you a copy. It's, it's, um, it's basically a conversation between a man and a gorilla about the state of affairs in the world and how man at some point developed this, this sort of narrative that human beings were put on this planet as stewards for the planet. And we hear this all the time. We are stewards for the planet. We are not stewards for, for the planet. And the ape actually argues on the, on the contrary, there was a, delicate ecosystem that enabled, you know, man, and I'm using man, um, probably loosely woman to rise, whatever, to, to rise to supremacy, um, in the food chain. And we've taken that, you know, the, the sort of intellectual advantage that we have in order to calculate this story in which, you know, human beings have to survive against all odds, even if that means the perishing of the rest of the planet. And this is not a book on, on environmentalism. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a, a narrative on the construct that we and human beings have, have made that in order for us to get better, we have to be a monk that climbs to the top of a mountain and do it together. And we've kind of lost touch with the reality that is not only we have to actually cooperate with one another, but we also have to cooperate with our surroundings. And if, and if, if we don't, then it's going to lead ultimately to our, to our demise. And I've always, I've probably read the book three or four times at this point. Every time you read it, you kind of think a little bit more deeply. It's one of those, like every year you should re reread it, you know, um, because it, it really relates to a lot of what we're doing here. You know, if my Instagram account isn't getting more followers then I'm doing something wrong, you know, we all want to have like our own special thing that we bring to the table and we do, but those special things are only special if they can kind of integrate into, into our surroundings and integrate into the work that, and the support of, of one another. Um, because we are not isolated organism, organisms that are surviving alone. We're all doing this together. And um, with all the hate in the world and all the bad stuff going on in the planet, politically or otherwise, um, environmentally, we're we not doing ourselves any favors by just fighting with one another and trying to create problems where, where maybe you know, solutions actually need to be created instead of more problems and micro problems. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, being anti anything isn't really helpful. I think it's being for something, being for something positive and, you know, being for your own growth and all the, the painful processes that that includes. People don't want to look like it's way harder to look at your own shit than someone's Instagram account and start, you know, start a maddening thread. And I mean, I've been there, you know, it's always like, yeah, right. Like, are are you going to get in on that or, you know, where, where, where does that responsibility fall? I feel like, yeah, I'm usually sorry when I do. Cause the next day you're like, Oh man, like, yeah, that just, that just wasn't really very productive. And yeah, yeah totally. Now. Totally. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny, like when you get into this, into this, in, anytime you do something controversial, it seems so clear that you're on the right side of the argument, right, on the right side of history. 
And then as you start to hear the same complaints or can't seem like, as you said, whininess, when you start to hear it over and over and over again, and then you hear yourself whining over and over and over again, you eventually just start to realize like, are we missing something here? And inevitably you are inevitably you're missing the trauma that somebody else is, is being informed by or, or some other systemic problem that kind of has worked its way into the, into the issue. And, and you don't even know what you're fighting over anymore. You just know plus and minus, you know, black and white ones and zeros and it's never never that clear so like you said there's no guarantees anytime you catch yourself saying never or always like you you just need to check yourself (laughs) well and i mean i think it's a natural reaction because we're all just about our own story so in our story there is this always or never thing that happens but i do think that's true i are particularly blessed with just having a perspective of other people like I can no longer say those things when, you know, I've seen it and I've felt it and I've sat with women that have lost babies and I've sat with them when I wasn't the best midwife I could be for them. Like, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it just gets really messy. Like humans are a mess. It's a mess. Life is messy. (laughs) Birth is messy. Everything's messy. We have to just acknowledge that everybody has their messy story that they're bringing into the conversation. Yeah, totally. We all have the mess, but again, last plug for self-responsibility and, you know, looking at our own trauma. I mean, even positive things like I had posted a couple weeks ago about um, the idea of pain and birth and really just wanting to explore that. Like, I don't really care what anyone thinks. I sure. you can call it what you want. I've seen women have Talk all kinds of experiences. Yeah, I've had all kinds of experiences. There isn't a bad, but like people immediately interpret that as like I'm I'm saying that's bad somehow because you know maybe whatever their own experience. So I feel like yeah. continually it's like okay, can we all just look at what we're saying and doing and and not speak, not speak so much. Maybe do that first. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's funny. And, and I feel like it's a pre-programming. Um, it's a, uh, like we're all like kind of heightened, right. And we're just like ready to pounce, ready to pounce on whatever it is side of the fence, you know, comes up that you, we don't agree with. And, um, it's just, it's just harming us. It's harming our patients. It's harming this lack of open-mindedness. This lack of flexibility is just, it's harming more than it's doing good. And it, sometimes it takes, it takes some, um, hard knocks maybe to, to learn that. Yeah. Well, thank you for contributing for sure. I know our students have loved learning from you and I'm just so grateful. I feel so excited that we have someone like you with all of, you know, the huge pieces of knowledge and, and research and things that, you know, we don't necessarily carry um, to, to have for these people going forward. So yeah. thank you oh, it's been a, a privilege to be friends, to become friends with you. I feel like we, I, I've been learning just as much from you and your students and um, in your community. So thank you. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get on with your busy day there. Thanks for chatting. We'll have to, yeah. I don't know, come up with something else. Always. <laughs> you know, I feel like we're doing good work. It's worth it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, Pause for hospital noise. He'll be back in a second.
Okay. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's been a huge pleasure. I, I want to continue the conversation and continue to learn from you and, um, and just, uh, I don't know, keep this conversation going. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for being available. And especially, you know, when I've had questions here and there, it's super amazing to have you as a, as a friend and a resource. Um, so yeah, best of luck. Keep us updated on, on the exciting halfway mark and forward with your own pregnancy. That's so exciting. Yeah, I will. I will keep the updates flowing because I, uh, it's this is brand new for me to be on this side of the of the equation, <laughs> and I've loved it. I've really, you know, enjoyed it. But I, I'm learning a lot as well from how to support Stephanie, my wife, and it's it's neat. It's neat. It's also um, it's it's a little scary being on this side, and um, and we're working through that. Yeah. Yeah, it's the ultimate humbling, I think, to be in it. You know, you can read all the books and you can do all the things, but yeah, it's certainly yeah. different when you yeah have fears and things come up that you maybe didn't expect. So, sure. to you both and and little yeah. Riley. Yeah, baby Riley. <laughs> um, if if and if you are if, if any of your listeners want to get in touch with me, the, the easiest yeah. way is beyond the MD. Um, is on Instagram. That seems to be the way that most people like to reach out. But um, I also have my website, NathanRileyMD.com. And um, we've got some, I've got actually have some, I, I didn't tell you this, but I have a couple interesting interviews that I'm going to be doing um, just around, one is going to be around how to read a, a scientific paper nice. uh, for any birth worker. It's going to be, you know, try to break it down so that people know sort of how to, how to deal with some of these statistics and what to sort of look for. And then, um, we're going to be doing some other things sort of in some of the racial disparities in, in birth work um, and uh, possibly even a podcast with a friend of mine about fear through the pregnancy process and the labor and delivery process. And she happens to be a, a huge advocate for free birth. And so I'm really looking forward to those, to those topics. And I hope it'll be helpful to you as well and your guests and your um, audience. Yeah, always. Those are the great resources to share and, you know, post around. So we are all working together for sure and happy to help you in any way too. All right. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Mary. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nathan. Have a great day. You too. Bye.